We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lekomsky, uh presently coming to you from Northfield, Minnesota. And I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark, coming to you, as always, from a beautiful South St. Louis where I serve at Ascension Lutheran Church. Say, Matt, before we get on to today's serious subject, I, I did need your advice on something. Can you help me out with a health You're always happy to help, John. So, so one of the things, you know, now that I've had a heart attack is they put me on a heart-healthy diet which honestly, Matt, goes, it goes contrary to everything I've loved and believed. <laughs> okay. Because number one, lots of vegetables. They tell you to eat lots of vegetables. And you know my feeling about vegetables. Right? Oh, yeah. I think we all do, John. Yeah. <laughs> Kale oh. in particular. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's not even bring that up. Um, and, and then the other problem is, Matt, and this I know – are you are you are you sitting down? Because this will be such a shock to you. Uh-oh. But maybe a a warning to all those out there who have heart issues. They don't want you to eat bacon either, Matt. Bacon? What? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why not, John. <laughs> well, no, no. There, there is there is kind of a uh, something good about this because they actually make something called turkey bacon. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard, heard of it. Turkey? Yeah, yeah. And and you can eat you can eat turkey. I'm not sure what part of the turkey the bacon comes from. <laughs> But but you can eat tur- and and turkey sausage because generally they don't want you to eat the old pork sausage. You say supposed to stay away from pigs. I have no idea why that is. Uh, however, here's here's my practical question. So they also make turkey sausage as well, Matt. Oh, okay. Uh, and I was looking on the the uh, uh, packaging of the turkey sausage, and the first thing I found is interesting is that they tell you how long to heat it up in a microwave if you have two links. And sure. they also tell you how long to heat it in the microwave if you have four links. Uh, but the, the funny thing is, is the serving size is three links. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your own for that one. Yeah, if you want me to, that's the serving size and give me directions. But no, here's actually the question I wanted to ask you. So it says plainly on the bag that these, these uh, uh, turkeys have been fed nothing but <laughs> vegetables. That's all they feed them is vegetables. So does that turkey sausage then also count as a vegetable? As a vegetable? I, well, I would say so. That sounds like vegan sausage to me, uh, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's turkey sausage. But, but there's feeding the turkeys. I got you. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So that should count, shouldn't it? I think. Okay. It's close enough. It's close all right. enough. Thank yeah, you, Matt. Your, I just wanted to confirm that. <laughs> so I'll tell him that Matt said so. So yeah, I'm getting yeah, plenty. Right. Of, if I eat a lot of turkey sausage, then I'm getting plenty of vegetables. That's, that's exactly my it. Goal. Yeah, my, my medical, my medical opinion, John. <laughs> my professional you. medical opinion. I knew, I knew I could depend on you, Matt. <laughs> so here we go. We we uh, uh, we talked about this last week, and now we're going to get into the subject. It is the subject of Romans chapter nine. For those who are doing uh, following their Bibles at home, um, but before I do that, Matt, I, I want to talk about that. That people have constantly struggled is what is the meaning of the Old Testament, right? Sure. What, what are all these crazy stories about? Why do we have all these strange laws and rules? 
um, the Jews wrestle with this all the time. There's a there's a website called Chabad, I think C H A B A D Chabad, and and or B E D, yeah, C H A B E D, and and it has this wonderful Jewish writings about the Old Testament. Some of them are actually kind of cool, Matt, because I mean it is the Word of God, and when you start dealing with it, it's amazing what truth will come. Others get a little bit crazy. So let me talk about one of the, the crazy ones crazy. I read. Okay. Well, okay, it's not crazy because we Christians do this kind of thing too uh, with the scripture at times. Um, but but so they're wrestling with the meaning of kosher. Matt, could you just explain to us what, what it means for something to be kosher? Sure. Uh, say it's acceptable according to Jewish law and especially dietary laws in particular. So, so do you remember what some of the guidelines, and it comes from the Bible. I'm not arguing that. The Old Testament talks about what you can and can't eat. Do you remember some of the uh, animal descriptions about what is kosher and what isn't kosher? I, I don't. Is, is turkey bacon listed as one of the kosher or non-kosher items? I, 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 I think, yeah, I think you can eat eat. The turkey, turkey chicken, bacon. stuff like that. Not, not yeah, pork. I think that's no, all right. No, not pork. But see, that's right. If I was a Jew, it wouldn't even be an issue because that's I wouldn't right. be eating bacon to start off with. No real bacon. Yeah, so pork is one of those things. And, you know, animals with certain types of hooves uh, and uh, anything with blood in it, certainly. So, yeah, yeah. there's a there's a pretty good list when we look at the Old Testament. I think so. So, so, so I'm glad you mentioned the hoof thing because that's, that's why you can't eat anything pork because you can only eat from an animal that has a uh, cleft hoof right the, the hoof is split mm -hmm. like it's got two fingers uh and and uh, horses and pigs have a solid hoof but thank god uh cows have a split hoof yes wouldn't that be something if we couldn't steaks eat cows? Are fair game <laughs> steaks are fair game so so anyway this article was talking about what makes kosher kosher why is it kosher uh, and, and, and they had actually what I thought was a good point, that all of us are animals to start off with, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're all animals, but, but we want to be something more than animals. We want to be God's animals, I suppose you might say. And, and that's the idea of kosher, that there's something special about the cattle that distinguishes them from all the rest of the animals. Likewise, we, as followers of God, want to be distinguished from all the rest of the creatures here on earth. And their explanation for the split hoof, why that makes the uh, the cow special, is is that they are actually capable of going in two directions. If, if you just play along with me now, since okay. the hoof All is split, right. in there. They, they can they can equally go to the left or or to the right. And so the example they gave was the example of Abraham. And Abraham, of course, is a very compassionate man. You know, when strangers come to him, he kills the fatted calf. He has a big celebration, feeds the strangers well entertaining angels unawares, as the Bible says. And yet, on the other hand, what, what did he have to do in regard to his son Isaac? No, he had to be willing to even sacrifice him. So, so that was the point. I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting point. So it's split hoof, because you can go either way. So if God calls you to be kind, you can be kind. But if God would call you to be mean, then, then you could be mean. Um, the, the other thing about the cow, the, why we can eat the cow, is that it chews its cud. That's a distinctive thing. Animals that choose its cud are, are kosher. And their explanation for that was that when you chew your cud, you're kind of uh, 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 contemplating, aren't you? You're not swallowing your food right away. You're not swallowing it whole. You're, in fact, you know what we call cows? We call them ruminants. 
that, that that's a ruminant, which from which we also have the word ruminate, which means to kind of, and so that was their explanation. See, a chow, a cow, yeah, a chow chews its cud. No, a cow chews its cud. So it's kind of too much takes, turkey sausage. Too much turkey. Yeah, I, I knew I shouldn't have had a dozen of them this morning, but I needed my vegetables. Uh, um, so, okay. And so that's what we need to do too. We need to kind of contemplate and think through things before we act if we want to be kosher. Now, what, what do you think about that, Matt? I, I just thought it was interesting how they were trying to interpret the rules about split hooves and about yeah. uh, that which chews its cut. Any any thoughts about that? I was thinking, you know, being able to walk to the left and to the right like that also helps with line dancing. So if, you're, <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing the electric slide, you know, you're, you're in luck. True. Have you ever <laughs> seen a pig? They cannot do it. They can't but do it. Cows are great. Well, I, I, I think the point I like the most um, from from what you shared. I, first, it's just interesting. You know, those are perspectives that you know perhaps as Christians we don't always think that deeply into. Uh, but I, I think the point I liked the most was um, that distinctness uh, that you know, the 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 kosher laws, many of the ceremonial laws. I think much of the purpose was just to show that uh, God's people, the Israelites, were, were distinct. They were different than the the pagan peoples around them. Uh, and it was a reminder to them that, yeah, they're God chose, God's chosen people. They're, they're different. They're distinct. And uh, I think there's, there's some value to that. So, so and, and see, so this is, this is the, the very thought I had, and, and you've illustrated it perfectly there, Matt, that, that there are these truths that the Bible give us. And if we can go back to the text and we can see those truths in the Bible, well, then there's no problem. Right. And certainly one of the truths is, is that if you're God's people, you are distinct. You're not like the Gentiles, Paul tells us. We're, we're different than what we were. So that's a truth there that they've, they've uh, revealed that we would all agree. On the other hand, when you start doing these kind of things to the Old Testament, you come up with a lot of ideas that may or may not be true. I'm not so sure that chewing your cud really is a, a sign that we need to take more time yeah. thinking, you know. Uh, now, here's the thought I had, though. We Christians do this all the time. But but what I think makes makes it better is we never come up with some crazy idea on our own, but we're always looking to affirm things that are clearly taught in the Scripture. Would you agree with me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, who cares about my opinion? Pastor Clark's opinion. No, it's about what, what's God have to say about this. Yeah. So so what you said about the turkey, bacon, and, and sausage might not be true? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, don't, don't put me on record as saying okay. <laughs> I'm approving of turkey sausage, John. Uh, that was, that was, as a vegetable. Yeah, as a vegetable. Uh, so, so, so see, here's what I'm thinking. You actually did this last week. Could you briefly review what you had to say about this business about Jeremiah's underwear, especially the part about it being hidden in a rock? Yeah. Buried underneath a rock. Sure, sure. You know, it, yeah, so there's this, he, uh, you know, for the, for those who weren't listening, oh my goodness. <laughs> it does seem like strange comment. But you're talking about Jeremiah's yeah, underwear. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. If, if you don't know about Jeremiah's underwear, you know, go check that on Jeremiah, first of all. But um, <laughs> I think it's chapter 18 off the top of my head. I have to look that up. But um, yeah, so so God commands him to wear this underwear, and he wears it for an undetermined length of time. We think it's probably pretty long, so long that uh, maybe it was, well, wasn't the cleanest. Uh, and he tells him put his his uh, underwear. It's perhaps spoiled or dirty. It's soiled by that point. Uh, to dig a hole, put it in a rock, and, and bury it. Uh, this this underwear that uh, already probably is is by anyone's definition pretty worthless. Uh, and then God commands him go and go and dig it up again. You know this worthless underwear, and, and he takes it out. Uh, and 
you know, I think that we can make a connection to to Jesus, right? You know, that he looks worthless, spoiled, dead. Uh, what do you do? Well, you, you, you bury him, right? Uh, you bury yeah. him in that rock. Uh, the difference is when Jeremiah takes out that underwear, it's spoiled. Uh, and when he digs it out from the rock, it's really spoiled. Uh, but Jesus, when he comes out from the grave, he's not spoiled. <laughs> he is he's glorified. He's resurrected. Uh, he, he's alive again. So, you know, again, I think uh, I, I like this quote from Augustine, John. I'll just share real quick about sure. the Old New Testament. Uh, the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is made clear in the New Testament. Um, you know, so the, when you have these these uh, these things in the Old Testament, leave us scratching our heads. Uh, the New Testament, I think, uh, helps to, to make those things clear, to illuminate them, to bring light to them uh, more than what more than what we see in the, the Old Testament. Those things are a shadow in many ways, but the New Testament helps to illuminate uh, those things, so we have a, a fuller understanding of why why God's commanding things like <laughs> hiding underwear and kosher laws and things like that. Could you read that quote from Augustine one more time, Matt? Yeah, yeah. The New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is made clear in the New Testament. Uh, and I, I like that because that you know it, it points to the Old Testament too that the New Testament's hidden there that, that Christ is in the Old Testament in particular. Um, you know, a, again, a shadow of Christ, a type of Christ, a, a, a prophet's prophecies of Christ, but still, nonetheless, he's there, <laughs> and uh, and sometimes he's he's actually physically there, right? Uh, we would say in, in certain cases, but uh, but yeah, yeah, hidden in the Old Testament, New Testament, hidden in the Old Testament, Old Testament made clear in the New Testament. So, so the thing is, is, is we wouldn't do this kind of stuff to the Old Testament and just make stuff up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we would do is try to seek in the Old Testament what we know for a fact in the New Testament. So we know for a fact, as you said, that Jesus was put underneath a stone. We know that. And that he rose again. And so we go back and we see these kind of things then going on in the Old Testament as well. Uh, there, there is a way of doing scripture called allegory, where you're looking for all kinds of hidden symbolism. It's really popular amongst the Jewish faith. It was really popular amongst a lot of the early Christian church fathers. Uh, but at some point, people begin to realize when you allegorize, you're just really kind of making stuff up. Unless, of course, you can find these things established clearly, plainly uh, in the words of the New Testament. And then, OK, maybe then that's not a bad thing to keep trying to draw these connections between the old and the new. So that actually brings us finally to our study, which is Romans chapter nine, because I realized this is what the Apostle Paul does all the time. I, I had not really thought about the fact he is an old Testament professor. When you read his letters, particularly the book of Romans, he's constantly trying to help us understand strange things in the Old Testament. If you wouldn't mind reading uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 6, and uh, why don't you go all the way through verse 12. Okay. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are offspring, but through Isaac all your, you shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. 
She was told the older will serve the younger. Okay. So, so Paul takes a thing that we're all aware of in the, in the Old Testament and the fact that you've constantly got people being singled out. Uh, now, it's not a really big deal in the case of Abraham because he's only got the one child that is Isaac. But as soon as you get to Isaac's generation, it really gets to be an issue because now Isaac's having several children and we got Jacob and we got Esau. But you still got this principle that only one child is going to be the elect, the, the chosen one. Uh, and, and, and Paul points out that the reason for this, if you're wondering why God does this, why you've got this constant focus on just this one child, why doesn't God love all the children? Why does he always single out just one child from his, his uh, 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 inheritance? It's because it, not everybody belongs to Israel. See, that was the teaching of the Jews, and I think it's probably still the teaching of the Jews, that what makes you special in God's eyes? Because you are a child of Abraham. And yet Paul points out it never was that way. From the very beginning, just because you were a child of Abraham, just because you could trace your ancestry back to Abraham, no, that didn't make you special. Only some of the people who were children of Abraham were special. Okay? So so I thought that's masterful of Paul. He takes a very common, plain thing in the Old Testament to disprove a very popular theory that as long as you were a Jew, well, that made you special in God's eyes. But as Paul says, no, it never was that way. It was only the certain offspring. Uh, uh, what, what's he say there? Uh, uh, not not the uh, the children of the flesh, uh, but those who are children of God. Um, now that's not an issue for us. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it is. Do you? Can you trace your ancestry back to Abraham? <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think for us as Christians, that's we, we don't think of that as an as an issue. We we don't we don't worry about that physical genealogy. But but I do think we do the same thing. I, I think we think because we are Christian, that makes us special in God's eyes. And what do we mean by that? Well, we go to church all the time. Mm -hmm. we, we say our prayers. We listen to Wrestling with the Basics, which is my favorite. <laughs> of course. If you listen to Wrestling with the Basics, you've got to be one of God's special ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or, you know, what, what we do, because we, we're, we're Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we think that makes us special because we have all the doctrines right. Uh, and, and we do. We do. I, I, I think the doctrine in the Lutheran Church is just about the best doctrine you'll find anywhere because we just try to say just what the Bible says, nothing more, nothing less. But, but here's my point. That doesn't make us special before God either. I don't care how often you go to church. I don't care how many prayers you speak. I don't care how accurate your doctrine is. No, no, then you're still thinking like a Jew, that there's something you do, something about you that makes you the, 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 the special to God. But, but no, no, as Paul goes, well, even though he had not been born and done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. See, so any kind of theory you have that is based upon what you're doing, that that's what makes you special, that makes you the offspring of God. Paul very clearly says, nope, nope, you're absolutely, totally wrong. Now let's continue in that text, though, because he tells us what it is really that makes us special to God. And we start with verse 13, and I guess just do 13 and 14, and that will be enough for today. Okay, verse 13 says, as oh, no, it is... Uh, go through 16. I'm sorry, go through 16, Matt. 14, 13 through 16. Yeah. Okay. As is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. What shall we say then? 
Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, I've got another difficult passage in the Old Testament, you know, and that's what Paul's doing. He's quoting, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Now, Matt, how would you unpack that rather difficult passage from the <laughs> OP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think um, when you when you look back and uh, when you look at Jacob's life, actually, I think he uses a, a similar phrase about Leah. Remember Leah oh, yeah. and, uh, and yeah. uh, Rebecca, right? Um, and he uh, he loved uh, Rebecca, but he hated Leah. It's, it says at one point, and you know, that doesn't really necessarily mean that Jacob hated Leah, uh, but he it does mean that he favored. Uh, he chose Rebecca certainly over Leah. So I think there's a similar understanding there. It's not necessarily this hatred from God, but but it's a Jake, God's favored Jacob uh, in this case. And again, he's the one through whom uh, God gives that that birthright and that promise. So, so thank you, Matt, because that's an important point. When, when the Bible uses the language of love and hate, it, it is the language of choice. It is a language of, of preference. Uh, what tickles me is we get on our kids because they, oh, I hate vegetables. Or, you know, I, 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 love, I love pie. And actually, they're actually speaking in a very Hebraic way, aren't they? Because oh, yeah, that is the right Hebrew. I mean, I mean, you don't really hate vegetables. No one really hates vegetables. I, I don't wake up in the middle of the night and go out and try to stab them or something like that. You know, uh, it, it's just simply the language of prep. And, and by the way, we always make fun of our kids. An old uh, uh, P.B. Herman line, when they say, oh, we, we love this, we say, oh, well, why don't you marry it? <laughs> so, the point being, of course, no, we know you don't really mean you love it. We know, but it is the language we use, too, to, to indicate, as you said, a preference. When they have to choose between two things, as Jesus Christ says, you cannot serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. Well, I don't know. You might not hate one of them. But the fact of the matter is, one of them is going to become what is preferred to you. And, and as Jesus says, he's the one that has to be preferred to all others, which is why he also says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, Jesus doesn't say we should hate people. He says we should love people. But if it comes down to a choice, a preference, well, yeah. Yeah, he is the one that always has to be preferred. I think that's a but, great insight, John. I really think that's important, you know, to seek first God and his kingdom, as he says, you know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, hating others in that respect, uh, in so much as we seek God first. I think that's an important distinction. Thanks. And so here's the cool thing, though, because Paul makes it quite plain what the meaning of this is when it comes to us. What does it mean if God would say, I love Matt, I love John, well, read that verse 15 again. Yeah, uh, I, I, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. And verse 16 as well. Sure. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So that's the point when, when yeah. the Bible talks about love. It, it means God didn't love you because you deserved it. He didn't love you because of who you are or what you've done. His love, his choice for us is based completely upon mercy and compassion. 
And what a great comfort it is then for us to know that, especially when we've sinned, especially when we've had doubts, especially when we've done things that make us feel distant from God, to remember you are one of God's children, not because of what your uh, uh, ancestry is, not because of what you've done, not because of what you're feeling or even thinking, but because God has chosen you in mercy and compassion. So, uh, all right, Matt, thank you for letting me share with yeah, uh, you that from Romans. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and uh, next week, we're going to go back to Jeremiah. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll go back to Jeremiah, see what else we can dig up there <laughs> besides <laughs> underwear. Uh, but yeah, thanks, John, for your message. Really about grace alone. That's what it's about. Thanks for unpacking Romans 9. This has been Wrestling, Wrestling with, with the Basics. The basics.